suppose what Oscar believed in as he died, in spite mm. of your protestations, suppose it's all true, mm. and you walk up to the pearly gates and you are confronted by God, what will Stephen Fry say to him, her, or it? I will basically, that is the Odyssey, I think, I, I'll say bone cancer in children? What's that about? How dare you? How dare you create a world in which there is such misery that is not our fault? It's not right. It's utterly, utterly evil. Why should I respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God who creates a world which is so full of injustice and pain? That's what I'd say. And you think you're going to get in no, on that? No, but I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to get in on his terms. They're wrong. Now, if I died and it was, it was Pluto, Hades, and if it was the 12 Greek gods, then I would have more truck with it because the Greeks were, they didn't pretend not to be human in their appetites and in their capriciousness and in their unreasonableness. They didn't present themselves as being all seeing, all wise, all kind, all beneficent because the God who created this universe, if it was created by God, is quite clearly a maniac, utter maniac, totally selfish, totally, we have to spend our life on our knees thanking him? What kind of God would do that? Yes, the world is very splendid, but it also has in it insects whose whole life cycle is to burrow into the eyes of children and make them blind. They eat outwards from the eyes. Why? Why did you do that to us? You could easily have made a, a creation in which that didn't exist. It is simply not acceptable. So, you know, atheism is not just about the, not believing there is a, is not believing there's a God, but on the assumption that there is one, what kind of God is he? It's perfectly apparent that he is monstrous, utterly monstrous, and deserves no respect whatsoever. The moment you banish him, your life becomes simpler, purer, cleaner, more worth living, in my opinion. That sure is the longest answer to that question that I ever got in this entire series. So what do you make of that then? We've sung our songs about the God of love. We've looked wistfully at these verses and filled our hearts with kind thoughts. And then you've listened to Stephen Fry. And it all makes sense, doesn't it? And he's right. What about bone cancer? What about the countless thousands of people who die agonizing deaths? What about worms that enter a child's eye and eat their way out as their whole life cycle? What about the countless millions of people this morning who aren't in warm rooms, who have no food, what about the lands parched by drought? What about the children this morning who wake up to the sound of gunfire yet again? And even as a ceasefire is proclaimed in uh, eastern U Ukraine, people carry on dying. And even if the ceasefire does hold, their lives will be misery for years to come. And so we could continue. Um, we are uh, thinking about, um, Steve said this earlier, through these 12 weeks, we're thinking about the uh, 12 minor prophets in the Old Testament. Don't shoot the messenger. 12 minor prophets. Um, 
And well, I don't know if we're kind of six or seven weeks in now, but you know the film that was uh, released this week, Fifty Shades of Grey, you, you discover there's kind of 12 shades of God. The minor prophets, these 12 prophets, don't all sing the same song. They're not on the same sheet. They're coming to this pursuit of God from their own understanding and their own viewpoint. Those who have been part of this church for very long will know that we constantly talk about the Bible being a library, which is what it is. That's what the word Bible means. And I often say that even if you miss that point, all you've got to do is open the first page and it tells you what the 66 books of this library are. And all you've got to do is attempt to read some of them to discover that they've got different viewpoints, different reference points, different opinions, different agendas. They sometimes clash with one another, but there's this great sense in them all of being inspired by a God who is love. Um, so, I'd well, let's read the key verse, I think, in the whole of uh, uh, the book of Micah. And it's one that uh, Ben read to us just now. Uh, he has shown you, God has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord, Lord in capital letters, Yahweh, means Yahweh. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. To act justly and to love mercy and in that way to walk with your God, Yahweh, the God of everyone and everything. That's what the name Yahweh means. So if Mike is saying that, What's Micah got to say to Stephen Fry? And what's Stephen Fry got to say to Micah? And how do we find our way forward in that kind of uh, world? I'd like to offer a little critique of uh, what Stephen said in that video there. Because I think he makes one giant basic error that he actually talks about. Now, I'm not... Um, I'm not um, I'm not a, a depreciator of Stephen Fry at all. In fact, this week I've launched a campaign on Twitter um, and uh, in, uh, in the media in support of Stephen um, and uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, etc., as they call for all um, gay men who are imprisoned or castrated to be given a royal pardon. Um, do you know in 2013, 12... I think it was 2012, um, Alan Turing was given a royal pardon. Um, Turing, who invented you know, the modern computer and uh, cracked the Enigma code, or invented, a, a, you, you've watched the film, I'm sure, um, uh, he eventually ended his life. Um, people say that he committed suicide <laughs> because he was gay and because he was offered uh, a choice between imprisonment and chemical uh, castration. Um, and he ended his life, uh, most people say, with suicide, although some claim that actually he was murdered by um, he was murdered by secret agents. He was murdered by MI5 simply because he knew too much and he was gay and therefore couldn't be trusted. And in 2013, he was given a pardon, and uh, Stephen, um, Steve, Stephen Fry has joined uh, um, Benedict Cumberbatch in calling for all... 49,000 men that this happened to to be given a pardon as well an apology and a pardon they were put in prison and put in stocks actually 
until 1967. Wasn't long ago. Not long ago at all. So I've called on churches to join that campaign and to work with Stephen Fry uh, to bring about the end to this this draconian uh, place. You can get hold of that on Twitter. It's going quite well. I think we're getting a lot of people to sign up. So, um, so having said that, you see, the point is, I think, that, um, well, I'd like to show you the next slide. It's hard to see. I'm really sorry that it's a kind of, uh, it's a, it, at the back, and we're sorry about these lights and this screen this morning, but there are two gods there. There's Jesus hanging on the cross, and this, actually, on the other side, is one of the Greek gods that um, uh, Stephen was talking about. Actually, that's Zeus. There were, as Stephen says, 12 Greek gods. I don't know if you know that. They were all brothers and sisters, and uh, that Hades was one. He talked about Hades, didn't he? That's how we get our name, Hades. Hades was the god of death, but Zeus, their big brother, was their leader. And in Greek mythology, Zeus and his 11 brothers and sisters murdered their mothers, their, 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 mother, their mothers and father, and took over. And Zeus, the god of war, the warrior god, became the leader of, um, of, his, peop uh, of his people. There's, a lot of, um, there's several films out at the moment. I've spent a lot of time on aeroplanes more time than I want to recently and there's, there's, a, there's a whole series of films about the titans because that's who they were and you can hear that you can watch their stories they fought with each other they warred with each other they slept with each other they, they were adulterous they cheated on one another as Stephen Fry said he'd be fine if he en ended up you know, talking to the big man in the sky and the big man happened to be Zeus because the Greek gods never pretended to be kind they didn't pretend to to be merciful or loving hey they were having a good time and we were just kind of in their way so they dealt with human beings as they chose to they wiped whole people groups out they could do anything to anyone but no one could do anything to them the point is that I think that Stephen in that great commentary he does there brilliant questions he poses makes a giant mistake and it's not his fault the mistake he makes is that he's credited the Christian God, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of everyone and everything, with the same character traits as Zeus and Poseidon and Hades and the rest of them. He's got the God that the Bible talks about muddled up with the gods that the Greeks talked about. And then he says, so there's this huge God in the sky and he's in charge of everything and he can do anything he wants and he lets a kid be riddled with bone cancer and he lets a worm crawl out of a child's eye and that's terrible. Then he says, I wouldn't mind it if he was turned out to be one of the Greek gods because at least they didn't care. But the point is what he's done is he's imputed all the character traits of the Greek gods into the God of the Bible. I'll explain a little bit more about that later if it's confusing you just at this very moment. I'll unpack that a little bit later. But like I say, I don't blame Stephen at all. Shall I tell you why? I would reckon at least half of us in this room have got the same view of God as Stephen Fry. I would reckon about three quarters of Christians I've ever met in my life 
have got the same view of God as Stephen Fry. When bad stuff happens to us, we feel guilty. I must be being punished. I got this because God's laying into me. I got this cancer. I got this bad relationship. My marriage fell apart because I did something wrong and the gods and God's getting me. Have you ever felt like that? Don't say. You don't have to say yes. You know, I know this kind of thing. You don't want to say, no, that's me. But I know it is us. Because so many have been taught this stuff. I'm not the kind of person who deserves God's love. And so that's why bad stuff happens to me. And then there's this other kind of voice that goes around the Christian world all the time. The Christian world all the time. And it goes like this. It goes, yeah, I know that mum with three young kids has died of ovarian cancer. That aggressive cancer that wipes out so many mums. And I know they're only ten and six and four. But it was her time. The Lord needed her. It's the Lord's choice. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Have you sung that in a song recently? The Lord takes away. It was her time. She's been promoted to glory. I even heard someone say that's an old way of talking about it. It's God's will. God does what God wants. Now, that's exactly the same God that Stephen's talking about. A capricious God who chooses. Here are ten people praying for their healing. I can hear them all. And uh, I'm going to decide who I heal and who I don't. They're all pleading for their health or their life or the health of their child or their mother. And my answer is... No, no, no. Maybe, yes, yes, no, no, and yes. If God is in control of everything and can do anything he chooses, then actually, I sign up to everything Stephen Fry just said to us. Don't you? It would be mad not to. But the problem is, in my understanding of reading the Bible and walking as a Christian all these years, is that what Stephen's done is, as I say, he's imputed the values and standards and character of some Greek gods, who he's just dismissed as mythology, into the Christian God. All-powerful can do anything he wants. Here's Zeus, the god of power. Crash, crash, crash. He gets what he wants. He deals with people as he chooses. He takes life. He gives it. He wars. He fights. He does whatever he wants. There's no kind of logic to it, no morality. It, And you would never say that Zeus is the god of love. He's the god of, the pa- of power. But here is Christ hanging on a cross, dying at the hands of evil men. When we say Jesus died because of the sins of the world what do we mean it's a funny thing you know we all use loose language don't we and yeah jesus died because of the sins of the world because of the guy down in the street in kennington road now i mean it's really hard for people to get into that you know like you know jesus died because of what i'm doing now 
Jesus died actually because of the sins of the Roman Empire if you think this is kind of bit of Steve theology actually this is lived straight out of Tom Wright I don't suggest you read Tom Wright's great books it'll take you the rest of your life to get through them but I'm quoting directly from Tom Wright now Jesus didn't die for sin in general Jesus died because of the sins of the Romans and the sin of Pilate who was a coward and wouldn't stand up for truth and justice and chose the easy way not the difficult decision Jesus died because of the shallowness of the Jewish people who when it came to it having cheered Jesus on chose a murderer Barabbas to release him rather than rather than Jesus the person that days later they uh, earlier they'd said they follow because it was just politically easy to do so Jesus died because his disciples who promised to stand by his side ran from him and denied ever knowing him Jesus died because Judas who'd walked with him had totally misunderstood Jesus message and sold him Jesus died for specific sins and Jesus carried that burden because the God that we worship actually here comes the difficult bit for some Christians to swallow isn't in control the idea Steve Fry's argument is predicated on is that God is in control of everything all the time everything's predetermined and predestined everything that happens is because God chose it to happen then at that time in that way do you believe that I mean most loads of Christians do and it seeps into us all but it's ridiculous because it turns us all into puppets nothing can happen that isn't been planned nothing that can happen that isn't already defined by God we're just puppets an act of generosity isn't really an act of generosity if I send you a card on your birthday it's only because it was predetermined I had to do it there was no way out no act of kindness is an act of kindness anymore it's simply that the God God up there orchestrates everything you've got no choices in life it's all just planned to be that way if you're wondering what I'm talking about and you want to do some more theology based around this I'm talking about three big terms right so if you're in the scribbling down mood mode scribble down the term open theology you can google it you find out there's tons written around open theology Google the term theodicy. Oh, Stephen Fry talked about theodicy right at the beginning. He said, okay, this is, I suppose, my theodicy. It's a theology of why bad stuff happens. And Google the term, which I've not talked about yet, um, agency. I will in a moment. Agency. Okay, it's not like advertising agency, but the term agency. I promise not to mention open theology, theology, or a theodicy, or, well I'll mention agency once or twice but I won't mention the other two terms again but they're really what I'm talking about in, uh, in, on November the 1st 
I'm just going to look up the year because I can never remember it. 1755. November, th November the 1st, 1755, an extraordinary event occurred in Europe that changed the way the world is. And that's why Stephen Fry thinks the way he does, in part, and it's why we think the way we do, in part, and it's why Europe's the way it is, in part. Let me tell you what happened. It, you can go away and Google this as well. There's tons written about it. It was at 9.30 in the morning in Portugal, in Lisbon. It was All Saints Day, November the 1st. That's really important. All Saints Day follows, of course, Halloween, um, uh, October 31st. All Saints Day is a religious holiday. Therefore, all of the Christians in Lisbon, in Portugal, in 1755, had gone to church to celebrate All Saints Day. It was, as I say, 9.30 in the morning. And at 9.30 in the morning, the first of three earthquakes struck. There would be three earthquakes over the course of the next ten minutes. Those earthquakes demolished all of the churches in the city. And they left 30,000 people dead. All of them churchgoers. Everybody who wasn't a churchgoer, who'd been up the night before reveling and enjoying Halloween and all its pagan ways, were at home. They all survived. All the Christians died, 30,000 of them, worshipping God, whereas everybody who'd got plastered the night before lived happily ever after. And Voltaire, have you heard of Voltaire? Voltaire wrote a poem. You can Google it again. You can find out about all of this stuff. It's a very famous poem. It's called um, The Poem of the Lisbon Earthquake. And, oh, you, you've lost your... <laughs> okay, you've lost your family. Then come down here. <laughs> Separation. There you go. Um, he, he wrote the poem of the Lisbon earthquake. And the poem of the Lisbon earthquake changed the way the whole of Europe thought about God. Until then, you see, the church had bought the Greek model of God. They'd swapped, they'd swapped Zeus for Jesus. You know, Christianity is very Greek-informed. You know, the Greeks led the thinking. You know, you know all that, don't you? Do you know Augustine was a Greek, etc., etc.? So though they they though they've taken on the God of the Bible, the God of the Bible still look remarkably like, in some ways, the Greek gods. So Jesus, God, the Yahweh, looked remarkably like um, remarkably like Zeus and Hades, who Stephen Fry mentioned. And Zeus could do anything to anyone he liked, but he couldn't be changed. And it was believed that God was all-powerful and he could do anything he liked, any time he liked, and therefore he'd look after everybody who kind of bowed and scraped to him. Turn up in church and you're going to be okay. That people still say that. You know, I'm a Christian, I've been to church all my life and I've still got cancer. 
It's an extraordinary thing, but it's pagan thinking. It's wonderful pagan thinking, but it's nothing, nothing to do with the Bible. So the view around Europe was, if you live a good life, you do well. And God will look after you. But if you screw around, you're going to get your just desserts. So the Lisbon earthquake turned everything on its head. Because it was God's people that got it. And all the people that weren't following God were fine. And if you read um, Voltaire's poem, he really laughs at this. And he rejects, finally, this whole idea. He kind of ridicules the claim that disasters are, in some sense, God judging and testing and improving us. He points out that it's a nonsense worldview. Stephen Fry uh, does exactly the same. No more, no less. But here's the thing. The view that God is all-powerful is an absurd one. I can prove this to you completely and conclusively. I know that you would have heard all sorts of theological claims to the counter. God can do everything. And Steve standing, is he standing there saying God's, all, God's not all powerful? Yes, I am. And here is, this is the litmus test proof, right? It's just a little experiment you've got to do now. You can prove this to yourself in seconds. Okay. Look back over the last seven days of your life. Or the last year of your life. Have you acted through the last few days always as God would want you to behave? Anybody here over the last year says, I have been absolutely joined to God's purpose. There's nothing I've said or done or thought. Nowhere I've been, no attitude I've held, no letter I've written that would possibly be out of line with God's will. There you go. You are the living proof that God is not all-powerful. God cannot control you. You have free will. You have, here comes that word, agency. We choose. I choose. I choose to be kind. I choose to be selfish. Sometimes I can think of a, a particular time this week when I said something far more sharply than I wanted to say and I drove away thinking about how I'd said what I said in a way that really wasn't uplifting, helpful or honouring of anyone in the situation. God is not in control of my life. I choose to cooperate with him or not so. Our whole world is broken. So that accounts for moral evil. Stuff that happens that's bad because we do it. People die in coffee bars because a gunman takes them out. Wars happen because of selfishness. Someone cheats and someone else is plunged into debt. And then their, their marriage falls apart. But what about natural stuff, like the Lisbon earthquake, like the South Asian Sumer army, which on Boxing Day in 2004 wiped out 280,000 people? Stuff that we've got no control over at all. It's just 
natural. It's the way the world is. Giant disasters, like Stephen says. Bone cancer. And worms that eat their way out through a child's eye. Jesus is really clear. In the end, you see, we're followers of Jesus, the God who is humble, the God who takes the pain, the God who himself dies on the gallows. Jesus is clear. Um, he's really clear. Let's start with what Jesus said that we know best. He said this, and when you pray, say, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. Pray that prayer when you pray, said Jesus. Why do you pray that prayer if God's will is being done? Jesus taught us to pray the prayer that God's will will be done on earth, to work for it to come about. He didn't say, hey, pray, Lord, I know you're in control of everything and everything's sunny and fine. Thank you. Amen. He called us to pray and he called us to pray, uh, he called us to pray that the world, this world will become like God's kingdom because it's not now. Around 35 million people continue to die of starvation or poverty-related diseases each and every year in our world. As we said the other week, and as Christian Aid told us, 80 people in the world own more than the bottom 3.5 billion people in the world. 80 people in the world own more wealth than 3.5 billion people. They can all fit on a London double-decker bus passing our building right now. There's 80 seats on that. And there they are, riding along these 80 people in their bejeweled bus, enjoying life and its splendour, whilst 3.5 billion people go without. We live in a community here, don't we? We're worshipping in a community where there are the haves and the have-nots. And the haves are over there and the have-nots actually are over there and along there. God doesn't get his own way. Um, I've got a friend called Tony Campolo. Some of you know about him. I was talking to Tony on the phone just this week about this. And uh, he said to me, Steve, the thing is this. He said, all you can say is God is trying his best. That's a bit of a shocking statement, isn't it? To people who've actually swallowed a Greek God dressed up as the Christian God. God's trying his best. Jesus says this. Interesting statements from Jesus. Um, Jesus says in John's Gospel, he says it on three occasions actually, John's Gospel chapter 12, 31, 14, verse 13, 16, verse 11, he says that Satan is the prince of this world. Well, how does that go with God's all-powerful? He says Satan is the prince. He says Satan, you've read it, I'm sure, you know, in New Testament in a year, you've all read Satan is the prince of this world. Jesus goes into the desert. You can read this story, of course, in Luke's Gospel and, uh, and elsewhere. Jesus goes into the desert for 40 days to be tempted. Satan says to him, hey, throw yourself off this tower. Turn this, these stones into, into bread. And then he says to him, this other temptation, do you remember this? I will give you all the kingdoms of this world. This is Satan to Jesus. Do you remember that? 
I will give you all the kingdoms of this world. Jesus doesn't say, oh, I'm afraid you can't do that. They're mine already. They're not yours to give. Jesus never dismisses the point of temptation. He just refuses to go along with it. He knows the deal. Satan says, I can give you all of this. Jesus goes, yeah, I know. But I'm not playing your game or coming your way. It's called agency. It's our ability to uh, choose. Um, Jesus, um, Jesus goes on to talk about how he will strike this blow over Satan by not retaliating and by dying, by sucking up people's rejection and anger instead of retaliating and fighting back. Let him who seeks revenge remember to dig two graves. After his death and resurrection, Paul, his great follower, um, says this. Uh, he says this in Colossians, that Jesus in his death disarmed the powers and authorities and he made a public spectacle over them and he triumphed over them on the cross. But then he goes on and, he's, uh, and he says this. In Ephesians he says, our ongoing struggle though is not against flesh and blood but against rulers and against authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul somehow knows exactly what Jesus knows. There's a war going on. It's an ongoing battle constantly. Um, I was. Re- uh, uh, do you, do I, does some of you know, I'm sure, what? I'm sure you all know about the hospice movement. Do you know, some of you know that the first ever hospice in the world was in Sydenham? It's called St. Christopher's Hospice. Has anybody been there and seen it or know about it? St. Christopher's Hospice in Sydenham, the first ever hospice ever. It was founded by a lady who's dead now. Um, in the last 15 years, I suppose, she died. Dame Cecily, Cecily Saunders, became Dame Cecily Saunders. And um, when I used to be a television presenter, I had the opportunity of spending an afternoon with Cecily and uh, interviewing her for BBC, a really committed Christian, an extraordinary woman. Cecily's story was simply this. She was a young nurse at King's College Hospital. And on rotation, she was placed on a cancer ward and she worked there at night. And this old lady, she was well in her 80s when uh, uh, she talked to me, she said, Steve, I used to sit at my desk at night and I'd hear people crying out in agonising pain as they died. And I knew I had to do something about this. And that's what drove her in the end to set up the hospice movement. Care for those who are dying of cancer so that they're free, as free from pain as possible and they're also conscious. She believed that those last weeks of life are really important in putting things straight with your family, in, in building memories, in saying goodbye, in not evading the questions of death in preparing people spiritually. So she built the hospice movement. There are hospices all over the world. Here's the thing. Have you ever thought about this? If God is in control of everything and everyone dies at the moment he plans for them to do, all Cecily Saunders was doing and everybody else who's ever joined her is battling against God. 
the whole hospice movement is only an attempt to overcome God's timing if you believe that God is in control of everything. Instead, the Bible paints a different picture. Micah says, Love mercy, walk with your God. Give your life, get involved. Um, we've almost finished, let me show you this. Um, as you came along here this morning, I don't know if you saw on the kind of little triangle of land, which perhaps some of you have never seen before, uh, where there's all those bins and things that you came past just as you came in the door. And that, by the way, is where our coffee shop's going to go and our debt advice centre. So that's exactly, and it, it's, we're going to demolish a bit of the building in the summer and build, it's going to be great when it, it's finished. But this morning, if you didn't see it on the way, you'll see it on the way back out. There's a long blackboard. Um, it's just black, it's got nothing on it. By tomorrow night, it will have these words on it. At the top, it will say, hopes and prayers. And then it will say this to the community, write your hope or prayer for our local streets and communities here. The members of the South Bank churches, Nathan's already talked about the South Bank churches, it's 10 churches, we're one of, I'm the chair of the South Bank churches, Rose the secretary, um, Nathan kind of works with us and runs the, uh, runs the food bank, which we're always encouraging the other churches to become part of, that's what South Bank churches are. The members of South Bank churches pledge to pray about those prayers uh, throughout Lent and to continue to work towards them in the months ahead. Or you can choose to leave your prayer at our website, southbankchurches.org. So from Wednesday, well, from the beginning of this week, from tomorrow, after we've um, got uh, all the, these transfers put on that board and people can read it, we've, we're building another one down at Kennington Cross. There's a church there called St Anselm's. It's going to have one exactly the same outside. And we're going to invite people, as I said last week, if you were here, to scribble their hopes and their prayers and their fears and their worries about life here, about health care and about housing and about education and about the streets or whatever it might be. And what we're going to do is each night we're going to take a snapshot of that blackboard and if you've registered for our 24-7 prayer campaign we talked about it last week and it's on the front of the news sheet so you can read about it but we start this Wednesday which is Ash Wednesday the day after Pancake Tuesday Ash Wednesday we start this Wednesday and we're going to create a 24-7 non-stop night and day um, prayer a chain of prayer and so what we'd like you to do is sign up for an hour if you go to oh, I think we've emailed everybody who left their email last week we've emailed you about this and I think everybody else whose email we've got we've also emailed you about this so what we'd like you to do actually we've had one or two um, technical issues with this but if you've been unable if you've looked if you've not found that email find it in your inbox and sign up for an hour of prayer when you sign up we automatically send you the snapshots of these two boards and in the comfort of your own home or wherever you choose, your job is just to give an hour to reflect on and co contemplate and pray about the issues that arise. If trying to connect um, you can't because we put some links in, 
Um, that that's been the slight technical issue. Some of them may work, some might not. But you just go to southbankchurches.org. If you skip everything else, go to the website, southbankchurches.org, and click on the tab that says 24-7 prayer. I've, I've written on there, and Nathan's put the whole thing together, so you'll be able to sign up for an hour. Why do I say that at the end of this talk? Because it's about agency. It's about walking humbly before your God and loving mercy. So we've got to listen first. Because how can we meet people's needs unless we listen? And having listened, we act. Prayer, you see, when Jesus said, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. He wasn't saying, look, waffle off these words and go home. He was saying this is a way of living and a way of being. It's a way of agency and acting and getting involved. That's what we are called to do. Let's pause and let's pray. We thank you, Lord that you are the God of love and that you exhibited love not power as Jesus took the blows that were thrown at him and gave his life and in rising from the dead sent a message to us all through history you can trust me you can choose to live my way you can afford to take the blow to turn the other cheek to take the insult not to return it to give yourself, to prefer the other, to go first, to lay down your life, to love, to show mercy in a world where no mercy is shown, to work and fight for good, to give your life, to study, to discipline, to bring change, to set the oppressed free, to end suffering, Lord, we give our lives to you. We give this day to you. We give the conversations that we'll have after this service is finished to you. We want to be those who bring change. We hear the challenge of the Lord's Prayer. And Father, we choose to accept, to build your kingdom here. Be with us as we journey together, a church together, a group of people committed to one another and to those around us. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name. Amen.